What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Like I Was Saying. The other day, I was sitting there thinking, whatever happened to that FBI investigation into college basketball? You remember a couple of months back, right before like the college basketball season really got going, the FBI raided the office of the mega agent in the NBA. Assistant coaches were fired for giving players sneaker money. Even Hall of Famer Rick Patino got caught up in the storm. Yeah, when was the last time you heard anyone talk about that? In this 280-character news cycle, we forget a lot of things, but the feds and the NC2A have not forgotten. College basketball writer Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News is on this week to give us an update on the investigation and what's next for the NCAA. Let's go ahead and get to it. Whatever happened with that FBI investigation, it seems like obviously going into March Madness conference tournaments that's all we heard about and then after Villanova won we really haven't heard much well we did hear about two weeks ago I think uh the 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 Justice Department issued what they called superseding indictment indictments which replaced the original indictment against former Adidas executive Jim Gatto and they added some details uh about players uh who had not been uh, originally cited in the in the uh, in the circumstance that was uh, brought up in the fall, and uh, two of those, three of those players were connected to um, NC State, in which it was alleged there was involvement of a coach, and one there was one there, and then there were two at Kansas, and the oddity of the Kansas mention was that there was no mention at all of any university involvement so to speak no staff member no coach no booster no nobody except for uh the allegation exec against the executive uh, and that's that was really strange because you know a lot of people a lot of people are like well gee you know i mean connect the dots and i'm like well wait a second um we, you can go ahead and do that but in almost every other case if not every other case in it that that's been mentioned Every other uh, circumstance that's been mentioned in this case, there has been there has been an, a, 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 a connection to some uh, staffer involvement. Whether it is uh, something that led to a criminal charge, as it did against four assistant coaches, or just tangential mention um, in the charges against others. So the Kansas situation, it appears that either the agent or the shoe company Adidas. Um, went around the coaching staff and went directly to the player. It does seem that way, and 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 I think you have to you ha- you have to leave that on the table and le- until somebody comes along and says something otherwise. And so I think that that's that makes it different. Uh, and and also that w- what I wrote uh, when that happened because I knew that the Rice Commission, the Commission on College Basketball, was coming out with its uh, results. Uh, not much long, not not very long after that super in, superseding indictment was was released that, that whatever they did was going to leave open this possibility that you, know, you don't necessarily have to even involve the coaches uh, to be doing things that are going around NCAA rules yeah you talk about the uh, commission on college basketball 
12 members, including Condoleezza Rice, obviously former Secretary of State. Uh, I believe she's a professor at Stanford. So with that commission, they outlined all of these changes. They're not rules yet, but they're changes that they were tasked with with bringing to the NC2A. And one of them, we'll go straight to it, uh, one involved the grassroots circuit. It involved AAU and how Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour each put on these basketball programs that are outside the reach of the NC2A. And part of their argument is the NCAA should take over one of these. Is this the NCAA's approach, like you said, of making sure they're in the middle of any potential interaction between a coach, a sneaker runner, or a potential student athlete? Well, that was the, 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 if you read the report and read the executive summary and then you read the remarks that were kind of based on the executive summary that, that uh, Ms. Rice, Dr. Rice made uh, at, the, at, at the event uh, a week ago, uh, it, it, it sort of leaves some gray area that the NCAA can sort of, do, you know, they, although they said they were going to adopt this, uh, these recommendations, it left some gray area that they can kind of dodge uh, if they want. But when, when I asked uh, um, Mark Emmert after that circumstance, are you talking about, uh, you know, taking over the summer? He said, no, we're not talking about taking over the summer. But the language in the in the report and the executive summary suggests that the that in July the July evaluation period that's been in place for decades that NCAA would run a series of regional camps uh, and that would be the only place that Division One coaches would be permitted to evaluate prospects. So I'll be honest, the cynic in me, because I'm very anti NCAA, the cynic in me thinks that the NCAA would take that over, brand that, and then sell it. Because they can't. That that's me. I know people would probably not think that, but I'm thinking worst case scenario, NCAA makes it that only college coaches can show up to one event, their event, and boom, it's on ESPN in July. Well, I mean, that would be that would be about as cynical as it could get. Um, you know, what, so other people have suggested they'll charge and that sort of thing, and and it, it, the reality is, however they handle it. They are going if they do this, and and there's no certainty that they would do it with that structure. But if they do it in that structure, they are going to be sued in so many directions. Their heads will spin. I mean, the first is the idea of uh, right now there is zero barrier to entry. If you have a son and he is a basketball player and he wants to be evaluated by Division One coaches, the only thing he has to do is get on a team that plays in a certified event in July, and there were, I think, 103 last summer. So there's certainly a vast number of events. And then he has an opportunity to be evaluated. Now, that doesn't mean you guarantee you're going to get a coach. It doesn't guarantee you're getting in the game or anything like, uh, like that. It doesn't guarantee you're going to get a coach to like you. But it guarantees you the opportunity to be seen. Um, if the NCAA says, okay, we're only going to do it at these camps, well, how many how many camps are you going to have? I mean, they're talking about four or five. How many kids are going to be at four or five camps? Yeah, it severely limits the number and opportunity for kids. And then more importantly, you're going to see the cream of the crop, get these super teams, if you will, and then that leaves out hundreds of other kids who could potentially go into mid-majors, lower Division One or Division Two schools. If you are one of the kids that doesn't get to go to one of these camps, and there, you know, whoever, whatever the next subset is, the next hundred, the next five hundred, the next thousand, 
that person has now been shut out from being evaluated, and he has, if he does not receive a Division I scholarship, he has a case against the NCAA that they, that they changed the rules and made it more difficult, if not impossible, for him to be evaluated, and therefore cost him a Division I scholarship, and they'll lose. And then there's the fact that, the fact that they have codified in their rules right now, summer tournament operators have to meet certain standards and, uh, and go through certain hoops to be certified by the, NBA, by the NCAA. And if you say without any evidence that any of them broke any rules, oh, well, now you're out. We're not coming to your deal and we're not allowing our coaches. You're going to be sued by them too. And, it, and the other thing is that they mentioned USA Basketball as a potential uh, a potential partner in running these camps. But USA Basketball already has a situation set up with their under-19, under-17, under-16. They already have a grassroots level that is totally separate of the NCAA. And they are sponsored. They get a lot of their revenue from a sponsorship they have with a particular apparel company, which is Nike. So if you're one of the other major apparel companies and you're now shut out of that uh, evaluation and the, and the camp deal, how happy are you going to be that Nike gets to be in and you don't by NCAA decree? So, they, yeah, so there's, just, there, there, there's so many problems with that idea that it's amazing to me that, that the people on that committee, uh, commission, who are very accomplished people, would not think out that. I mean, look, I'm not that smart, right? I mean, I figured that all out. You know, if the, I figured out the kid thing in five minutes, and then I talked to a camp operator and figured out the rest in 10 minutes. So it, they should have been able to handle that. Well, and, and so as I look at more and more from this uh, commission on college basketball, their report, their suggestions, one of which devolved the one and done. Keep in mind, the one and done rule is not an NC2A rule. It is an NBA rule. So whatever this commission came up with or comes up with, the NBA has to institute. But I found this really intriguing when they talked about the one and done rule. And uh, Ms. Dr. Rice was basically saying it has to go one way or the other. And if that was not done away with, the NC2A would think about going back to the old days and ruling freshmen ineligible. It's amazing. We'll cut off our foot to make to make you know to make ourselves happy. I mean that's what they're saying. They the cost increase because you would have to expand scholarships. And remember, you've got 351 Division One teams now. If you increase the number of players on scholarship, that decreases the the talent level available to the lower part and the middle part. Because now, I mean, if Duke can offer 15 scholarships. Uh, then in, or Kentucky can offer 15 scholarships, uh, and Cincinnati can offer 15 scholarships, and Butler can offer 15 scholarships. You know, all of a sudden, uh, IUPUI doesn't get the level player it once did, and uh, Chicago State doesn't get the et cetera, et cetera. So uh, how, how are you going to convince those other 200 to 250 schools that it's going to be good for them to have freshmen ineligible? I think that's going to be a tough sell. I just think it's tough to get the top 20 players in high school basketball to agree with that. In that case, you go take a $30,000 a year deal with the G League, if you want to stay in America, versus overseas. And then you sign with a shoe company for $5 million, which is normally the going rate which they give top lottery draft picks when they sign a shoe deal coming out of college anyway. That way you're getting 500 
what, $5 million, $30,000, you're just fine, and you don't have to go to college. The commission on college basketball, by making that, rep- that, that recommendation or that threat, I guess you should say, is essentially a, a turning itself into the commission willing to destroy college basketball, and I, I don't think that that should have been their charge. What does the NC2A do? I mean, at this point, everyone has their hand in the pot. The NCAA, they're not the chef anymore. How much control over this do they have? Or are they trying – is this the last gasp of the NCAA? Well, they're not going to regain control through any of the recommendations that were placed here. The one thing that I thought that, that, that absolutely had to come out of this circumstance, uh, after I read the Yahoo report back in late February uh, that, uh, that went through uh, the – the papers that had been seized from one agency's office that, that detailed loan payments made to a series of players in the past. Once I saw that, and now it's on paper, and it, and it was fairly widespread, and it was not exclusive to one-and-done players. As a matter of fact, the majority of the players on the list that were receiving a, a fair amount of money as loans were multi-year players. Uh, one even was undrafted. Uh, eventually. He's playing in the league, but he was undrafted. So it's not like you're just talking about the absolute cream of the crop that has the opportunity to to do these deals if they wish. And I thought for sure when that came out, okay, well, they're going to have to accommodate the agents now. They have to. And so their accommodation, so to speak, was to say that now players could consult with agents, but they still can't take any money from them. Well, if you can't take any money, the, the value of consultation is relatively minimal, uh, and, and it doesn't stop the agents from continuing to pursue players by making those deals. But here's the thing. If, if they could give them money, if they gave them money before without being able to consult them, you think they're going to stop giving them money now that they can consult them? No. If, if anything, we're going to see the same amount of money funneled to top players, in my opinion. You're right. It's absolutely right. And you know, the, I, the, the argument that I keep trying people to, to help people to understand is that by shutting down one and done, there's this, there's this belief that the one and done guys are the ones that everybody is paying and that nobody else is getting paid. Well, out of the people that have been mentioned as in, in connection, the players who've been mentioned in connection, with, you know, with this uh, with this case, not you know, not 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 talking about the papers that were seized by by uh, the Justice Department and published through Yahoo, but just the, the the players who have been tied up in this case, uh, who haven't been able to play, uh, or who were you know who uh, were affected by it. Uh, uh, there were there are a number of, them, and none of them were one and done players. None of them. Uh, you know, the, the, the two players at Kansas. One was ranked 19th coming into his season. The other was like ranked like 30th. Uh, there was a player at Southern California who did not play this past year who was ranked 134th in his recruiting class coming out of high school. This is not just the cream of the cream. This is players that are all over college basketball that are, at, you know, that are potentially involved in these sorts of circumstances. And to, so to just confine it to the, the top-level players – I did a column uh, Thursday in which I said that it's kind of like all the commercials that we see on television right now about the Senate candidates who want to build the wall. It's empty rhetoric. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't solve anything. If the NCAA wants to get on 60 Minutes or Real Sports with Brian Gumbel or my show, 60 NCAA, if you want to come down the street and talk to me, um, 
they're going to say, we have put together this commission. We are pursuing um, dramatic and drastic change up, clean up college basketball. It's all rhetoric to the outside, which looks as if they're trying to make this game clean. But in actuality, in your opinion, from what I, what you're telling me, you don't think any of these changes will achieve the desired result? None. None of the changes they recommended will achieve their desired result. None. Um, they made some good recommendations. The idea of opening up the, um, the NCAA board to outside people or that sort of thing. There were a few uh, recommendations in there that, are, that I think are positive for the NCAA. But in terms of, the ad- of addressing the problems that were made clear by the uh, FBI and the Justice Department in September that exist in, you know, they, they, remember, the, the case is often described as an investigation of college basketball. It's not. It's an investigation of essentially the talent game, uh, whether the talent is going, you know, is, is in high school and AAU or in prep school or whether it's in college or on its way to the, the uh, NBA. Um, it, that's where the investigation encompassed all of that. Um, but the, the, the reality is that uh, if that's what you're trying to address, then the fixes that were suggested by the commission will, will, will stop nothing, zero. Uh, it, you, you, if, you, if they win the one-and-done argument and the NBA goes along, which, by the way, I think the NBA would be foolish to go along because the rule has been very good for them. But if they get them to go along, all they, you know, they just take 10, 12, 15 players out of the mix, and then the business goes on as usual. Well, yeah, because not every player who's – thinks they're coming out of high school as a one and done are indeed, you know, those lottery picks. Majority of these players, like you said, from the um, paperwork we're seeing out of Yahoo as well as the um, the FBI, a lot of them aren't the one and done players. They're the players who are two, three, in some cases, maybe even four year players in college. Uh, I'll get you out of here. Final question. You touched on it. We'll come back to it. This one and done thing. Is this the biggest creator of the problem or is it the fact that these kids are playing in a vacuum in which they see how much money is getting made and the agents and the runners and the shoe companies understand, hey, I can give you $40,000 because you know your school's making a million. Oh, I think that's exactly it. Uh, the, 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 the players see the amount of money that's generated um, and, and they are getting none of it. And, you know, from a, irrespective of the, um, of the illicit payment that, that – you know, that became problematic uh, for, you know, obviously it's been problematic in college basketball for many years, but it became, you know, it came to light in, in September with the Justice Department. But take that out of the equation and look at the story that just came out a couple of days ago when Nigel Hayes, uh, who's now in the NBA, talked. Yeah, he's, yeah he, he said that the players, when he was at Wisconsin, they thought about boycotting. A game that if that would have happened, that would have sent shockwaves because ESPN would have been upset. Big Ten Network, Fox Sports, NC2A, respective schools, that would have sent shockwaves through college basketball. Yeah, it would have been especially ESPN because that game that they were talking about boycotting was part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge, so it would have been their problem. <laughs> but uh, but it, you're right. I mean, it would it, and and that and what Nigel talked about was. They understand how much money is being made. Now, look, most college basketball players, in fact, they all get a good deal because in some way, shape, or form, um, they get trained, they get educated, uh, they get taken care of medically while they're there. Uh, they get a good deal. Um, and I think they get a better deal now than they've ever gotten because now the food is unlimited and the facilities are better and the, uh, and the uh, stipend is in place at pretty much every Division One school. 
And so they get a better deal now than they ever have. Uh, but do they get the best possible deal or the fairest possible deal? I think until the name, image, and likeness case uh, or circumstances figured out, um, I, could, I think it's hard to say yes. And then the other part of it, um, the agent deal. Um, it, again, they've got agents on them from the time they're 15 or 16. And the, and the agents are offering them money uh, or loans or whatever or gifts. And it's hard to say no when you don't have anything and when you're not necessarily giving up a lot. So I, I think they have to bring that above board, and I think they failed miserably to address that. Seems like we have even more questions than answers after this commission on college basketball. Michael DeCourcy from the Sporting News, thank you for joining me. We're going to do this again. Actually, I want to get you out of here. Let me know right now the early part of May 2018 your pick for national championship in 2019, men's basketball. You know, it's, it's, it's hard without knowing who's coming back. Remember, we have like 180 guys. You got to pick. You got to pick. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I think if I have to pick now, um, I, right now Kentucky has, you know, has a lot going for it. But they ha- they, what they really need is to get back guys like P.J. Washington, uh, uh, Jared Vanderbilt. If those guys return, I think that Kentucky's going to be very well positioned to win in 2019. And you just very well positioned yourself to be the man of the Bluegrass State, at least for the next four months. Big Blue Nation loves you. Thank you for joining me, man. Thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure. As always, thanks for listening. Feel free to hit me up, Jason Spells, on Twitter and IG. Never did it for the fame, never did it for the game. When I picked up the mic, it made my whole world change.